Welcome on in to the Superintendent Radio Network and the fifth episode of Greens with Envy. I'm your host, Matt Lowell, alongside my co-host and the editor of Golf Course Industry Magazine, Guy Cipriano. We also have a special guest today. It is not our producer, Patrick Williams, who's too good to run the board for us today. It is instead our good friend, Matt McClellan. He is the managing editor of Garden Center Magazine, also the managing editor of uh, Nursery Management Magazine. And we'll have him on in just a minute. You'll see why. Uh, it has nothing to do with golf, but it's something the guy wanted to talk about for a few minutes. Guy, Matt, how you doing? What's going on? Doing awesome. And we're recording this the day after Halloween. So we are hyped up on leftover Halloween candy that was brought into the office. So we should have a lot of energy. And hopefully uh, our energy doesn't crash by the end of this podcast. I have a three-year-old with a mild peanut allergy, so we have three bowls of candy, two that she can eat, and then one that's all Butterfingers and Snickers and peanut M&Ms and Reese's, and so my wife and I have been nibbling at that more so her than me. So I've already had my share of candy by noon the day after Halloween. Uh, Before we dive on in, Guy, you went to a couple of courses last week, and we will talk with those. Neither of those, I think, were first visits for you. You'd been to both of those before, right? Uh, One was a first visit, and the other one is a place that I know quite well. Right, and we will get into that. Before we get into that, though, a few notes from around GCI. We do have our State of the Industry surveys out. If you've already filled that out, thank you so much. I know we got several hundred within the first day. Um, Those will be going out again soon, so if you have not taken five or ten minutes to fill that out, do so. It'll make for a fantastic January issue, and if you put in five or ten minutes... Uh, a lot of your peers will probably also put in five or ten minutes, and the more results we get, the better that package will be, and the more it will help you. And it will help the We One Foundation. Absolutely. We always do make a donation to the We One Foundation. If you missed uh, Off the Course Episode 2 with Patrick Reinhardt, superintendent of the Georgia Southern University Golf Course, take a listen to that. He has a three-year-old son who has been dealing with some incredible liver issues. He's literally a one-in-a-billion kid, uh, had a Great, great help from the We One Foundation not too long ago. That's a great listen as well. And and Patrick, if you're listening, as always, we're pulling for you guys. Uh, we are heading in a couple of weeks, and before the next episode of Greens with Envy comes out, we will be down in Myrtle Beach for the Carolina show. Guy and I will be road tripping down, and we'll get down in a few minutes to the driving versus flying debate. But I'm excited for that. That's going to be my first uh, Carolina show. Yeah, it's going to be awesome if any of our friends in the Carolinas are listening, and we know that some of our friends from uh, Virginia and Georgia also attend the event. You know, send us a, a message on Twitter, email, call us, let us know. We'd love to chat with you and hear about your golf course and hear about the type of 2019 you had. And we do have time in the schedule. I know we're going to be down there. Are we getting down what Sunday, and we'll be down till I think Thursday. Yep, we're going to be there longer than we usually are. We have a house rent it, and basically, golf course industry is just taking its operation south that week. Yeah, so if you want to have the kegger, we have the room to host the kegger. Uh, turf heads take And the expense account to afford it. <laughs> it's the end of the year. We've got money left in the budget. <laughs> turf heads take over. Uh, if you've not been following along on Twitter at GCI Magazine, we have been bringing back every single Turfheads takeover story from the last three years, including one posted on Halloween from old Tom Morris, Beyond the Grave, hashtag Happy Halloween. Uh, that, that's been really, really good. So if you need to catch up on the first three years of Turfheads takeover, 
everything is easily accessible on the GCI Magazine Twitter account, at GCI Magazine. And we are fast approaching the deadline for our fourth annual Turf Heads Takeover December issue. I think we've got a lot of great submissions. Uh, I've read through everything that we have, and we do have a little bit of room left. If folks still want to get right, and you have to do that pretty soon, though. Here's the deal. Even if you don't have time to submit something for this year's Turf Heads Takeover, Golf Course Industry is a publication that is for everybody. So if you have the time to write and have a good idea and think that you have a story that could help somebody or inspire somebody, we are always accepting submissions. Uh, we're working on getting bigger, even bigger print issues next year, but there is unlimited space on the internet and social media. So we encourage everybody that's passionate about the industry to give writing a try. Well, I mean, we're biased, but sure. And last bit of housekeeping before we dive into the episode, the 2020 Super Social Media Award nominations. Uh, that's been going on for a few years. Guy, you've been a lot more involved in that than I have, and I know we've got some folks in mind, but boy, there's a lot of great accounts out there on, on Twitter, but other platforms as well. Yep, you'll be getting a, a notice from us in our Fast and Firm e-newsletter, our next one, that nominations will be open. You'll be seeing on social media what you have to do to nominate uh, your peers or somebody that you respect on social media or even yourself. So the the GCI tweet up will be at the golf industry show in Orlando. It'll be sponsored again by Aqua Trolls. And I don't want to give too much away, but we're going to have uh, some new twists this year. So we'll leave it at that. But yeah, look for a notice that uh, nominations are open. All right. You've stuck with us this far. Let's get into the meat of the show. We're going to first start uh, before we talk about the last two courses that Guy visited. We're going to get into the driving versus flying debate just a little bit. Now, I am not a huge flying fan. I've flown since I was a little kid. Um, I loved it at that point in time. But like a lot of people, I think I've, I've kind of soured on it in the most, I don't know, three or five recent years. It just seems like so much of a hassle. And that is why we are driving Guy and I to Myrtle Beach, as we just mentioned, for the Carolina show in a couple of weeks. I'm driving to Winston-Salem in December. We cannot drive, unfortunately, to Orlando for GIS in January. That's about a thousand miles. Uh, and Guy, you just got back from a, a pretty lengthy driving road trip as well. What are your thoughts on the driving versus flying debate? Yeah. So the, the recent trip was sparked by Green Start Academy, the 14th annual training event for assistant superintendents sponsored by Bear and John Deere. And we get invited. We go to this every year. And I was thinking about it. Like I've been on a plane a lot. I've been through airports a lot recently. Uh, why don't I drive it? And I, I did it for a few reasons. I, I figured fall would be a great time to drive through Southern Ohio and West Virginia and Virginia and North Carolina. And I also did it because I wanted to make some visits at places that you can't really fly to. Uh, I visited uh, our friends at the Greenbrier and then visited our friend Josh Pope, who used to be at the Greenbrier at the old old farm. So I had the time to do it. It, it helps to have a great managing editor back in the office to take care of things so you can make a, a two and a half day trip into a four day trip. But when you drive, you get to think a lot. And every time I cross into West Virginia, I play a certain song. <laughs> and that's why we have a GIE Media's musical expert, Matt McClellan, in here with us. You have a lot of time to listen to podcasts and music. And this brings us up to a discussion we're going to have before we get into the, the more golf related part of this podcast. Yeah. So, Guy. Open the Pandora's box. McClellan is a, a musician. Are you still in bands? Not currently. Okay. Um, 
we'll get the mic on you in a second. But uh, guy, guy put, called this "Country Roads Take Me Home." He wanted to talk about songs and states uh, in songs and song titles. I'm a huge trivia buff. I've got my favorites, and I actually I have a three page list pulled from Wikipedia. <laughs> I mean, we, we're in Northeast Ohio, so I'm I'm, I'm partial to uh, my city was gone by the Pretenders, right? Um, which if if you're a ditto head, has been Rush's Rush Limbaugh's theme song for years. Uh, Chrissy Hines uh, gave Rush the okay because her parents liked listening to the show. Uh, I love all the Cleveland songs. Obviously, we've got Randy Newman's Burn On. We've got uh, Bone Thugs, Cleveland's The City, Ian Hunter's and Pot USA's Cleveland Rocks, Heart of Rock and Roll by Huey Lewis in the News, Look Out Cleveland by The Band. But this don't, is where... Don't let Matt's uh, research here fool you. He pulled into the parking lot at GIA Media in his... What is it? A mini? It's a Honda Element. Honda Element yeah. blasting Bone Thugs and Harmony. That's this not morning. true. That's that's. I listen to podcasts. <laughs> I don't even listen to the radio anymore. Uh, but but my musical knowledge pales in comparison to yours, Matt. Uh, if you if you want to give people a quick background, you've been in a number of bands. You play a number of instruments. You have two sons under the age of ten who you are trying to form a family band with. I think. Oh, of course, yeah. No, they're uh, they're they're very musical, and my wife is a music teacher as well. So we are uh, quite a musical family. I'd have to say that uh, I I did do a lot of uh, listening to all kinds of music, reading my parents' record collection growing up, and getting into my own stuff as well. So I'm well equipped for a conversation about music and locations. So, what are some of your favorite songs with either cities? Or states in the title are mentioned throughout the song. Because again, I've got my favorites, and I've got a list, but I want the expert in the room. Well, I'd say that one of the one of the musicians who has always made his songs about places is uh, somebody who's near and dear to my heart, and many many of our your listeners, I'm sure, <laughs> uh, the great uh, New Jersey's Bruce Springsteen. Why did I know you were going there first? Of course, because yeah. I grew up in Youngstown, Ohio. Yeah. Home of the uh, the abandoned steel mills, and and I gotta say that Bruce's song Youngstown was one of the first songs that came up when you mentioned this to me. And he's actually on the list Fourth of July, Asbury Park, mm-hmm. uh, my city of ruins, oh, and then an I'm, and, and and then the same state, uh, mm-hmm. Atlantic City. Atlantic City, the big hit. He also had the big Streets of Philadelphia song as well. He's a man who knows how to write a song about his hometown or many adopted hometowns throughout the country, home states. Mm So Bruce and and you've covered a fair bit of Bruce. Yes, yes. With a hungry heart back in the day. Oh yes, yeah. I even covered Atlantic City with a friend on the stage of the Ohio University Memorial Auditorium. <laughs> what was your band's name? The Plastic Hearts. I thought is that's the, what it was. The, the Plastic one Hearts that, that played the most. Yeah. Yeah. Back in uh, the old early aughts, I'd say. And and a random turfhead's note. One of your super fans, probably about. 15 years ago? Yes. Uh, yes. Is in turf. He's not in golf. It's mm-hmm. actually the uh, head groundskeeper for the San Francisco Giants, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Greg Elliott. Greg Elliott. Yeah. He's a, he was a, a, a fan and a friend of the band back in our grog shop <laughs> it's days. So in random. In Ohio. Yeah. And I believe he's, uh, he's done, done pretty well for himself. That, that The turf always looks great when the Giants are out there on the World Series, you know, years ago. <laughs> Three World Series championships in the Baseball decade that just closed, but only two division titles. Indeed. Interesting. Uh, so I, I've got this list. I mean, there's so many songs about Atlanta. There's so many songs, believe it or not, about Birmingham, mm-hmm. Boston, oh, Chicago, um, L.A. You've got Miami, uh, Nashville, New Orleans, New York City, San Francisco, aforementioned. 
uh, a lot of songs about Seattle. My favorite is Perry Como's. But are there any non-major cities mentioned in songs that really kind of stand out to you? I've got a few. Mm. Well, of cities that you didn't mention, yeah. I'd have to say that the big one that, that would come up is Detroit Rock City. Sure, I guess. Kiss. Yeah. Uh, there's, a, there's a more of a under-the-radar one that I really love uh, called Milwaukee. And it's uh, by a band called The Both. It's a sort of a super group from Amy Mann and Ted Leo. Huh. And this is a song about that great uh, Midwestern state or city that that actually um, references the statue of Arthur Fonzarelli <laughs> that they have in downtown Milwaukee. Which you know, it's always good when a song about a place really gives you a feel for that place. Yeah, which I think is an important factor there. So you think of Milwaukee, you think of. That song, you don't think of Frankie Yankovic's Milwaukee Poker. <laughs> no, that's what I think of, but that's just, uh, that's sort of, and it's, that's, when you think about smaller cities, yeah. cities that maybe you wouldn't think somebody would write a song about, uh, I, I always enjoyed Hackensack by Fountains of Wayne. <laughs> this was a song about a guy who essentially <laughs> is, is in love with a girl who grew up and moved on, yeah. went to become like an actress out in L.A., and he's still there in Hackensack, you know, peeling the paint off of hardwood floors, you know, working for his dad. I love old country, and the song the song was covered, but uh, uh, Streets of Bakersfield. Oh, yes. So Dwight, yes. Dwight Yoakam's version, but the original yeah. was with Buck Owens. Mm-hmm. You don't know me, but you don't like me. What's the Bakersfield sound? How I feel. Yeah. Well, yeah. but it's that song. Yes. My favorite detail, though, about Streets of Bakersfield, do you know the name of the songwriter of Streets of Bakersfield? This is one of the great... Non-baseball, baseball names of all time, and this is the man's real name. You got to, you got to let me know. Homer Joy. <laughs> what a great baseball name, right? That is pretty good. A uh, couple more. Kansas City, and I did not realize this. Going to Kansas City is written by Jerry Lieber and Mike Stoller. At the time, they were teenagers. Oh, they were wow. nineteen year. Both of them were nineteen years old. They were R and B fans. They lived in L.A. when they wrote that song, and they had never been to Kansas City. One they of the iconic just liked songs the about the ways Kansas it City. sounded. They, yeah. they liked the way it sounded in the in the flow of it. Lieber and Stoller, great songwriters. Yeah. I mean, they they were wrote tons of songs. But the the city that that really takes the cake, and and I hope none of my trivia folks are listening to this because a thousand seventy four confirmed songs and counting written about Memphis. Mm. So you've got Graceland by Paul Simon. You've got Letter to Memphis by the Pixies. Memphis Beat, Memphis Bell, Memphis Blues, Memphis Skyline, Memphis Soul Stew. Walking in Memphis. Walking in Memphis by Mark Cohn. And even one of the great songs about Mobile is really about Memphis. Stuck inside a Mobile with the Memphis Blues again oh, by I Bob Dylan. Oh, I know we have a Bob Dylan song. Yeah. Here. yeah. Well, and that's the thing, too. Minneapolis should have so many great songs written about it because Bob Dylan and Prince both grew up in the area, but neither really focused on Minnesota all that or much. Or you have, you have great Minneapolis-based uh, musicians like The Replacements, Paul right. Westberg, writing songs about Portland, Oregon. <laughs> How much they love it there. So. <laughs> it moved. Yeah. Uh, so if, if you're listening and you want to chime in on this, uh, hashtag city songs. Uh, tag us at GCI Magazine and uh, hashtag city songs. Matt, anything else for the road? I think that's good. I want to thank you guys for having me on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for thanks for coming in. Guy wants to chime in with what? Oh yeah, guy wants me to ask him his three because he came up with this whole segment, and then I'm like, let's have Matt on. Well, Matt, we appreciate you adding some musical expertise to this. Uh, we definitely have showed a East Coast and Midwest and Southern. 
biased. Bakersfield, California. I didn't hear any Beach Boys discussion. I didn't hear any Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg discussion. There's I didn't so hear many any songs about it. I didn't hear any Katy Perry, California Girls discussion. With a U. But anyway, uh, I'll shift us back to that bias because I do have a clear top three. Uh, number one is John Denver, Take Me Home, Country Roads. Every <laughs> time I drive into West Virginia, I blast that in the rental car. And I sing along, and nobody wants to hear me sing, so that'll never make a podcast or a recording. So that's number one. And a funny story about that song, and one of the bus rides during Green Start Academy, a, uh, a overzealous assistant superintendent took over the uh, DJing duties on the bus, and that was the first song that he played, and a whole entire bus of assistant superintendents driving uh, in Raleigh, North Carolina, got to sing along to that. So to me, that's my number one. I grew up between Pittsburgh and Morgantown, so I'm familiar with that song. I think it was introduced to us in our high school music class, and I, I think that song tells a, a great story. Number two is Leonard Skinner's Sweet Home Alabama. Okay. I've always liked that song, and I, I found it to be even cooler when a few years ago I took my father to a, a University of Alabama football game. He's a uh, big Nick Saban fan. In fact, my dad's two sports heroes are Nick Saban and Bobby Knight. So that needs that, that tells you about the the uh, the household that I I went in. But uh, just walking from downtown Tuscaloosa to Bryant Denny Stadium, I think we heard every fraternity house blasting that song, and I thought it was cool to see a bunch of you know college kids sing along to a song about their state. And that song just hits me after spending some time in Alabama. And actually, I was thinking about this as the two mats were talking in here. Uh, you, you kind of think of your dream golf trip or a trip that you really want to do. I like to go to Alabama during football season and play the entire Robert Trent Jones golf trail and also go to an Alabama and Auburn home game on the same trip. Now, I went to an Auburn home game last year and an Alabama game two years ago, but I'd like to just take two weeks off in the fall and just make that drive through Alabama, play every course on that golf trail, and go to those – two awesome football stadiums and if i do that trip ever i will play one song the entire time in the car and it would be sweet home alabama and by the end of that trip you will never listen to that song again uh i see a feature in your in your future yeah i think you should do that next year yeah we'll we'll see and number three would be arrested development tennessee okay so that, right. that's my list nice top three i don't have the musical expertise that you two do i'm a pop cultural moron so anyway, it's cool though that that music can really bring people together and create that that sense of place. And we know that a lot of our readers and listeners and followers listen to music while they're on the job, and I'm sure they've listened to some of the songs that we just mentioned again and again and again. We're going to take a quick break. Thanks to Matt McClellan, managing editor of Garden Center Magazine, managing editor of uh, Nursery Management, and uh, former former lead singer and, and star of the Plastic Hearts. Good <laughs> yeah, to have you on. Yeah. And, you know, superintendents are very curious people. And if you have interest in those two markets, let, let us know and we'll send you uh, the link because you can subscribe to those magazines for free just like you can subscribe to the golf course industry for free. Dark and dusty, painted on the sky. Misty taste of moonshine. Teardrop in my eye. Country roads take me home to the place I belong. West Virginia, Mountain Mama, take me home. Country roads. 
Welcome back to Greens with Envy on the Superintendent Radio Network. I'm Matt Lowell alongside Guy Cipriano. Thanks again to Matt McClellan, our resident music expert for uh, Hashtag City Songs. We're going to dive into the whole reason why we talked about city and state songs, and especially Country Roads, Take Me Home by John Denver. Uh, Guy, last week you went back to one of your favorite courses, or at least one of your favorite states uh, in West Virginia. You spent some time at the Greenbrier. Yeah, and it's a place I've gotten to know well uh, since uh, 2016, and I was really excited to go. I was disappointed. I, I, I had volunteered at the PGA Tour event at the Greenbrier the last two years, and I, I could not volunteer this year because of an existing uh, commitment, uh, a vacation to Yellowstone and Grand Teton that got planned before the PGA Tour announced the, the date for the military tribute at the Greenbrier. So you know, I got into October and had not gone down there to see – our friends on the, on the crew there and, and the director of agronomy, Kelly Shumay and the, the course superintendents, Nate and Carrington Bryant. So yeah, it was, it was October and had not made it down there. And these are people that I've grown pretty close with over the last few years. Uh, you know, we did a three-part series in 2017 called when the Creek rises about the uh, historic floods in West Virginia in 2016. And then the, the rebuild that culminated with the Old White TPC hosting the 2017 Greenbrier Classic. So you get to know these people well, and I've done a good job of maintaining relationships with a lot of them, and they've done a good job of maintaining relationships with me, too, with uh, phone calls and and social media messages. So it's kind of cool to to see that a story that you put some time into not just die, right? This whole business is about maintaining relationships, and uh, I'm really proud of the fact that we've kept our relationship strong with all the great people at the Greenbrier, and it's just not the people that hold the director or superintendent titles. We know a lot of the crew members and a lot of the people that, that work in the uh, maintenance facility on the equipment, so we have strong relationships with a lot of them, so it was great to, to go back and see them on this drive to North Carolina. Unfortunately, it rained the morning I was there, which is, it, it seems like it, it always rains when I go to the Greenbrier, which is unfortunate because it's such a beautiful place and it still looked awesome. I mean, it was a dreary Tuesday morning. Uh, got to ride around with uh, Director of Agronomy Kelly Shoemate, got to see the Ashford short course, and then rode around the old white TPC with uh, Superintendent Nate Bryant and saw it, saw them uh, air fying. Unfortunately, they didn't get much airification done on that day because of the, of the weather. And it's just great to, to see people that you had not, I had not been down there since July of 2018 when I volunteered the uh, military tribute at the Greenbrier. So it had been a good uh, 15 months since I had been down there and I was itching to get back because it truly is one of my, my, my favorite places. If you've never been to Southern West Virginia, go visit, um, see the Greenbrier, see some of the, the, the hiking trails, the New River Gorge, the the, the Greenbrier River, the, the Greenbrier Rail Trail, the, the little town of Lewisburg, White Sulphur Springs. It's just a it, – it really is like – I think everybody has those magical places that just grip them and they can't mm-hmm. wait to go back to. And, you know, southern West Virginia is definitely one of mine. Heck, the whole state of West Virginia is one of mine. And also got the opportunity to uh, play the Ashford short, short Course. So the Ashford Short Course is something that uh, Director of Agronomy Kelly Shoemate designed. And Kelly's also one of the, the great golf – architecture savants. I mean, he is a superintendent that can design a golf course. He is multi-talented. You know, he, he's kind of like a bo- modern, well, I don't want to say modern. He's kind of like a Bobby Weed type, a, a superintendent that, that could one day become a golf course architect. Emo Loeffler, if you're going way, way back, you know, Dr. Mike Hertzen started as a superintendent. There are a lot of architects that did start as a superintendent. And really, you know, as Kelly's career progresses, I think he's going to get more and more design work, especially on the uh, 
on, on all sides of it, whether it's a, a renovation, restoration, new course, a little tweak. Well, at the Greenbrier, he took less than six acres, 5.78 acres to be exact, and built a nine-hole short course. And it is one of the coolest short courses I'd ever seen because the greens are really regulation size, and they're modeled after a lot of the great uh, greens that have golden age characteristics. So there's a punch bowl green, there's a there's a redan green, there are two double greens on the course, and it it's really cool. And when the weather cleared up on the Tuesday that I was there in the afternoon, I had a chance to play it. Brought three clubs, walked, played the thing in 32 minutes. I mean, it, it, it was a, awesome, and it's maintained to the high standards of the old white TPC and the Meadows course and the the, the private Sneed course. So, what a great concept! They're going to open up uh, nine home lots around this six acres too. So, it's a great way to take land that already exists on a property, find a golf use for it, and raise the value of some of the property around it. So, I mean, it was a terrific. Uh, performance by Kelly Shoemate and the team of the Greenbrier to get this done. It, you know, it officially opened at the end of last year. I had a chance to see it when I was there for the military tribute at the Greenbrier in 2018 as it was growing in. And I knew it was going to be something special, but it was awesome to see the uh, completed product. And what an amenity for the um, members of the Greenbrier Sporting Club and the people that go to the resort there. I mean, how cool is it? You could play, you know, 36 holes in a day and then at night, you know, play nine holes that quick. You could take a, a, a child out there. You could take somebody that doesn't hit the ball as well out there. And really, if you're a major golf resort or a private club that has the land and you don't have a short course or you're not thinking about adding a short course, you're really behind the times. Well, and it's something that you we've seen more and more. I know Desert Mountain, when I was out there a couple of months ago, uh, they opened their seven, which is a full 18, uh, but it's a par three, and it, it's on a much smaller pl- uh, patch of land than their other ones. And they seem to think that they're kind of at the forefront out there um, at Desert Mountain that more and more courses will be, or more and more clubs, I should say, will be doing this in developing either nine holes or par threes or nine hole par threes. Um, what were your thoughts? You played this in 32 minutes, which is is quick even by your standards, I think. Yeah, I- I like to play a lot of quick golf. I'm not a big fan of the the four and a half, five hour round. I don't think a lot of people are, but I especially get antsy. And especially when I'm traveling, there's so many people to see, uh, you know, drives to make and things that need to be done on the computer that, you know, I don't want on a work trip to spend four and a half hours playing golf. So I'll play a quick walking nine here or a quick short. I've been playing a lot of short course golf this year, which has been awesome because honestly, like 32 minutes, or even if it takes you 45 minutes or 50 minutes, that's how long you would take hitting balls and hitting some chips and putts. So you're really working on your game in a live environment too, uh, in addition in, in addition to seeing some cool architecture. So I found it, I've been finding it a great way to practice this year too. We actually have two short courses that aren't far from uh, our office. We have the nine-hole Washington Golf and Learning Center, which, you know, has a nice practice facility, the first tee at Cleveland f- facilities and this nine-hole course. And then we have Shawnee Hills Golf Course, which is also operated by the, the Cleveland Metro Parks. They have 18 regulation holes and then a nine-hole short course. I found myself playing those two courses near our office and near my uh, home more than I've ever have. And I, I think it's a reason my handicap's gone down this year, honestly. And and Matt, I probably shouldn't say this on the podcast, but there have been nice days where I've, I've at lunchtime, I've driven up to Washington and played nine holes in 40 minutes. And, you know, that, that's been the lunch hour. So, that doesn't upset and, you know, me. anyone in this building <laughs> that has an interest in golf should do it. And it, 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 it's just awesome. 
And these are, like I said, if you're not doing one or not considering doing one and you have the land, really, what are you doing? You got to question uh, your, your future, right? Like you can't make decisions for now. Well, you do have to make decisions for now, but you really got to be thinking five, 10 years down the road. And if a resort or another club offers this amenity, you know, a lot of people are going to maybe pick joining that club or visiting that resort over the ones that don't. Right. And let's stick around with the the Greenbrier for a few minutes because you've been down there multiple times over the last uh, three years. I'm sure most of the folks know what happened, but in, in 2016, what was it, 10 inches of rain? Uh, it resulted in a flood, and, and I'm just going to do a quick excerpt from your series of stories published in uh, in GCI a couple of years ago. The flood resulted in 23 deaths, including 16 in Greenbrier County population, just over 35,000. Nearly every member of the crew had a connection to somebody affected by the flood in a life-altering way. The fatalities included the sister of a crew member on the Sneed course at the Greenbrier Sporting Club, the private facility between the resort's main entrance and I-64. A dead body was found by the pump station bordering the turf care facility. More were found on or near golf grounds. At least a half dozen members of the resort's golf course maintenance department lost either all or significant parts of their house. And this is a quote from Kelly Shoemate. There are tragedies everywhere. He says, when you see something on TV, you're like, oh gosh, that looks bad. But the next show comes on and it's lost. And this opened my eyes. When things like this happen, you have a new perspective. Now, we're three years past, but just reading this and talking with you, it seems like it's always in at least in the back of in in the back of their mind, if not at the forefront. Yeah, it is. I'm. I've never lived through a natural disaster like that. I've really never even had many family members that have. But when something like that happens to you and you see the firsthand devastation, and that's your office, that's where you go to work every day, where a lot of that devastation happened. How is that not in your mind every right. every single day? And when you find bodies on the course. Yeah, you know that there are moments where crew members are, are are thinking about what happened in 2016, and they probably have to stop and take a moment and gather themselves. Uh, it, it's always going to be on your mind. It's never going to escape your mind. Even the people that have moved on from there but were there in 2016, I'm sure they think about it every day. But one of the things that is remarkable, if you go around there now without talking to people, you would have never known what happened. And they've done a marvelous job of putting the community back together, putting the golf courses back together. I mean, the old white TPC is as good as it's ever been. And that course has been around for a long time. I mean, it's a CB McDonald, Seth Rayner design. The Meadows course, which was reworked after the um, the flood. And that, that's another one where Kelly Shoemake got the showcases golf architecture talents. That, that's a phenomenal course with spectacular views and, and cool revetted bunkering. Uh, the Ashford course, which wasn't there before the flood is now there, and they put the Sneed course back together. So, you know, unless you had that knowledge, unless you, you knew someone there or read a story or, or saw it on the news, if you were visiting visiting the, the Greenbrier and knew nothing about it, you would really had no idea that it had happened. It's just been a, it's been an inspiring recovery. Uh, you know, every time you go down there, you, you think about what happened and where they are now, and it's just, it's just so impressive. And that speaks to the, the fortitude of, of the people in Southern West Virginia, and the determination and talents and sacrifices made by the people on the Greenbrier staff to, to put that back together. Because a lot of people could have walked away. A lot of people that could have said after that flood that this is too tough. I don't want any part of it. There are a lot of jobs in the, in the golf industry. I can go in somewhere else and work. And they stuck around. And it, it, 
it really is remarkable. They're inspiring. I hope I get a chance to visit every single year. You know, those are relationships that that are very meaningful to us at golf course industry, and they're ones that we're going to continue to maintain and, and, and strengthen, strengthen. And based on your reporting and everything you've, you've mentioned to me here the last few months, not everybody who works on that course is a West Virginia native, but I feel like, again, based on your reporting and everything, if you were there in 2016, you almost feel like you you did grow up there or, or, or a significant part of you is in that state uh, just because of, of what you went through. It seems like a very uh, proud in the best sense of the word, not not in terms of sin, but just a, a very proud group and a very determined group um, to get stuff done and, and to move forward. Have, have they kind of moved forward? Oh, yeah, they've moved forward. But like I said, it's always in the, in the back of their back of their mind. I mean, how could it not be when something so devastating happens to a place that you have a, a, a strong connection to? And one thing I would say is I, I grew up an hour from from West Virginia mm-hmm. on, the, uh, on the Pennsylvania side mm-hmm. of the border. And just growing up so close to West Virginia, you knew that it was a special place that people have a tremendous sense of pride and connection to that state and everything that happens in that state. I'm sure there are other, other states that have it, but really it's a state of less than 2 million people. The major industry, which which is the coal industry, is uh, seeing sharp declines in the number of jobs and career opportunities in the last last. 30 years. I mean, the, the, the landscape isn't the easiest landscape to, to, to farm on or to begin a city or a business on, but they're just really determined, tough, committed people. They love that state and they love everything that happens in that state. And every time I go through there, I get chills and I get excited and uh, I travel a lot and there really aren't many places like, like West Virginia. And, and you talk about the economic impact. This is from the second part of your three-part series, When the Creek Rises. No business means more to Southern West Virginia than tourism, which generated $243 million in direct spending in Greenbrier County, according to uh, Economic Impact of Travel in West Virginia, report prepared in 2012 by Dean Runyon Associates. The Greenbrier employs close to 2,000 people during its peak season. This is amazing. The median income in Greenbrier County population, again, just over 35,000, is 39700 $46. That's below the West Virginia average of $41,751, according to census data. West Virginia, one of four states, and this doesn't surprise people, but it's still when you hear it, West Virginia is one of four states with a median household income below $45,000 per year. So, I mean, this 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 uh, Greenbrier in general, uh, you're building courses, you're creating courses, this is, this is a huge driver. And when you don't have uh, major events, or when the when the when the whole property is closed, it is a huge, huge hit on that county and, and on those people. Yeah, a natural disaster is devastating everywhere, right? Like you, lives are sometimes lost, sure. homes are lost, you know, cars are damaged. You know, businesses could be wrecked, making it tough to to go about day to day life. But when it happens in a place that remote and that small, where there aren't a lot of other opportunities, it probably hits harder. Like we live in Cleveland, right, Matt? Northeast Ohio is a big major metropolitan area. It would still be a horrific story if it happened to one of the private country clubs or public golf courses here. Absolutely. But we have dozens of other 
public golf courses and yeah. private clubs that, that people can go to or people yeah. can work at. The, the municipal population of Cleveland is larger than the entire state yeah, population. Yeah, like of Cleveland West doesn't depend on it's 2.1 million or so. One company or, or one golf course or one resort. Well, a lot of what happens in southern West Virginia depends on how the Greenbrier is doing. So that I try to I've explained this to people over the last two and a half years. That's what makes the series really, really powerful. And you combine that with just people that have lived there their whole life that are so prideful and care so much about their region and the place they work and stay committed for that long. I mean, you're, you're not going to see many stories like this ever. No. Uh, you still try to get down every year. I know you said it's been about 15 months. 2020 plans? You going to go back down? You're going to play uh... – Play the short course or, or spend more time down there? Or? I'm hoping to volunteer at the military tribute at the Green sure. Didn't if get to dates, do it this year because of, because of a conflict. I'm going to make sure that, you know, now that the PGA Tour schedule is a little more set, that I reserve that week in, um, in September to go down there and volunteer again because I really, really missed it. Those are two of the greatest work weeks of my, my career, and I've been blessed to do a lot of different things and meet a lot of great people and go to some places that people, you know, do on their own time with their, their own money. But I... I plan on volunteering again in 2020, assuming they're willing to have me. You know, I, from what I've heard, I have not messed the course up too much the two times that I've volunteered. But uh, I really miss that, and I can't wait to get back. And I would encourage everybody in the industry to volunteer a tournament in 2020. And Matt, you know this. You have the op- if if you have the time and you can swing it personally. I, I think it's big for golf course industry to volunteer and spend a week each of us going to a tournament. Yeah. So you know, hopefully things work out where maybe we can get you into a tournament next year too because you just learn so much. You meet so sure. many great people. It's a big commitment a week away from your, your your family or whatever you have going on at the at the golf course. But but the volunteering experience is just so huge in in the golf industry and uh, encourage everyone to do it. And I think this is going to bring us to part two of this this trip and somebody else that's very special to the golf course industry. Yeah. So, uh, the old farm, uh, which you wrote on your outline, the old parentheses and fabulous farm. You showed up your first day back wearing an old farm pullover is, is how much you love this course. Yeah. And this course, um, the lead maintenance person at this course is someone that anybody who read the, when the Creek rises series, should recognize Josh Pope is the superintendent at the old farm. He's been there now for about a year and a half. He was the superintendent on the old white TPC during the uh, the flood, and he was the superintendent that played a huge part uh, along with the rest of the team at the Greenbrier and rebuilding the the, the golf courses there. Uh, Josh is uh, tremendously talented. He's one of the most dedicated and passionate people you'll meet in this industry, and. It was tough for him to leave the Greenbrier, but wow, what an opportunity he got to go to this place called the Old Farm. It's on the Tennessee-Virginia border. It's it's in Bristol, Virginia, but Bristol, Tennessee is seriously like a, a driver, a, you know, a, a well-hit driver away. It's it's an incredible property. It, the, the golf course is approaching its 20th anniversary. Uh, the founder is a guy named Jim McLaughlin who lives you know, just above the property. He cares deeply about it. Uh, it's got a national membership and everything there is just spectacular. I, I can't even think of a negative thing about the place. You know, I can't think of a negative thing about a, most of the places we visit. You really got to nitpick to find uh, it, negative it, things at golf courses. They're, they're it, really special places, but, yeah. but the old farm is one you just touring it with Josh on, on a spectacular Wednesday morning. It's just a 
awesome opportunity. Uh, so many cool things there. It really feels like you're still on a farm. Like Bobby Weed was the architect who designed it, and he did an amazing job. And fortunately, there, there's a lot of pride and a lot of resources there to do great work. And it's one of the it's one of the best golf courses I've ever been to. You know, we're fortunate at golf course industry. We don't have to rate golf courses to sell magazines. Yeah. So, you know, comparing and, and one nothing g- nothing against it, but I would just it. Uh... I'd feel a tremendous pressure trying to put a number on any course. Yeah, I, I would suck at being a course raider because I like every golf course, and yeah. I believe that every one is special, and I know the challenges that there are to maintain them and, and the uh, the sweat and the determination that goes into maintaining a golf course with the resources that you have. Uh, yeah, what, what a tough job that would be to evaluate golf courses. But the old farm is just – it's tough for me to even describe it in words because you kind of feel like you're still – on a farm with these 18 amazing holes on it. They have a nine-hole short course, too, called the Orchard Course that was added about six, seven years ago, which is a great amenity for the members. Um, the members come from all over the United States. It's a national membership. It just doesn't have the national at the end of it like some golf clubs do. Uh, there's even a um, farm on the course still between a few of the holes. And I got to see uh, okra growing, and I'd never seen okra grow. I, do you have any idea how okra grows? Have you ever seen okra uh, I've growing? Lived, I've lived in the South for about three years, so I feel like I should, but all I ever passed were tobacco fields. So I don't know if I do know how okra yeah, grows. Yeah, okra just kind of grows straight up on the plant. So Like corn? Yep. Huh. Yep, except without the um, the ears. Without the stalks, yeah. With the stalks, yeah. So you can see, I, I got to see okra grow, and you know it's so cool to have a farm still on the old farm, and this property just just weaves through this rolling land, and there there's elevation, but there isn't too much. They left a lot of the... Uh, original farm structures up in fact you uh to get between the uh, sixth and seventh holes i believe and through some of the back nine holes i think the 11th to the 12th you drive through an old barn with your golf cart that has a snack bar in there an indoor golf hitting bay an indoor putting green it is the one of the coolest halfway houses i've ever seen uh, this property is just so, so special, and it was a treat to get to tour it with Josh, who is uh, somebody that just cares deeply about the industry and his career. And you get a lot of those mornings where you can't believe I'm doing this, and that was one of those I can't believe I'm doing this morning is getting to see that that, that golf course with Josh. He's got a tremendous team there, too. Uh, you know, he's developing an internship program and he's developing assistant superintendents that he hopes he can send on to the next level. And he's got some uh, staff members to, that have been there for a while. Um, yeah. What, what an awesome place. Uh, I know I'm just throwing out every gaudy adjective that I can think of and it's gotta be some of the, you know, Bobby Weed's done some tremendous work, but when you look back at his career and he's still active and doing some great work, that's going to be like, man, that's one of the, the greatest works of Bobby Weed's career too. You'd been to the Greenbrier a handful of times by now. This was your first trip to the old farm, right? Yeah. And it's kind of out of the way, right? So I was driving, uh, from Cleveland to, Raleigh, which is really a straight shot down Interstate 77, and then I I, I forget the interstate that you yeah, and then and then and then, sh- and then you take 64. Yeah, across. so I had to take yeah. a interstate. I don't even know the numbers. I drive so many interstates, but I had to go about four hours out of the way to get to the old farm, and it was totally worth it. I didn't realize that Bristol, Tennessee, and Bristol, Virginia, were the same city until I went out to dinner there <laughs> the night before the tour of the old farm, and Main Street separates the states, and. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't get a chance to see the Speedway or any of the other golf courses there, 
but that was a special treat. And that, that's one of those visits that you remember all of them, but that's one of those visits where you look back at your phone and you're like, did that really just happen? And that's what you miss when you take a two or two and a half hour flight to Raleigh rather than take a few days and drive through because you were heading to Raleigh for a specific purpose. Uh, one of the great annual events, uh, the was this the fourteenth annual Green Start Academy? Yeah, hard to believe that wow. that event's. Uh, and you've been to how many? I've this was my fourth. Okay, so I went to my first one in two thousand fourteen. Went in two thousand fifteen. Went in two thousand sixteen, and then we sent someone else. Pat Jones went in two thousand seventeen, and he went again in two thousand eighteen. So I got to go back this year and got to see it with a um, fresh perspective. So I think most of our listeners know the Green Start Academy. Maybe a number of you have been there. Um, designed completely for up-and-coming assistance, uh, lots of education, really, really great program. You had a lot of tweets that kind of showed off some of the education and the activities. Great group of people. Was it about 75? There were 52 assistants. 52, I'm sorry. Assistants there and then a collection of panelists. That's right. So what were some of your takeaways? I know you talked with some folks, um, both panelists, education folks, and obviously some younger assistants. Um, What were some of your takeaways, either from education or just just talking with folks on the bus? Yeah, the assistants there kind of hit all spectrums of being an assistant superintendent. There were some that had just become an assistant superintendent, and then there were some that were been superintendents for six, seven, eight, nine, ten years that are really ready to take the next career step. And and that's, I think, the ultimate question that they have coming to Green Start Academy. And it's the ultimate question I have is how do people in this industry go from being assistant superintendents to to getting those, not even head superintendent jobs, but those really good elite head superintendent jobs? What has to happen to land one of those? And I I think I get the sense that there's a big debate in the industry right now, and this debate's probably been there for a few years. What do you do? You want to become an assistant superintendent at an elite course. You want to become a Kelly Shoemaker or Josh Pope or somebody at that level managing a facility with those expectations and those book budgets. How do you get there? What route do you have to take in your career? And no two careers are the same. I wrote about this a few months ago. Everyone kind of has a different journey, and you can't really put templates on people. You can't say, oh, I want to be an assist- uh, a superintendent at – at a course like the old farm, by the time I'm 33 or my career is a failure, you can't really put guidelines or deadlines or templates on it. But the debate that I feel is going on is what's best for taking that step? What do you do? Do you become a head superintendent at the first head superintendent opportunity you get and try to work your way to the elite job from there? Or do you spend your time with a very influential superintendent that has a great network and a great reputation at an elite club, and you try to move up through that route using those connections and your, your work there. And it's, it's a tough question because if you're the head superintendent, you're, you're managing, you're the leader, you're the one making the calls. The assistant is making a lot of decisions at these elite clubs, but they're still not the, the head person. So what gets you quicker to an elite job? There's no easy answer to that, that question. Some people may say that if you're not in the right superintendent network, you're screwed. You're not going to land one of those elite jobs. And then other people will say, well, all you need to do is get to the interview and you have a chance if you get to the interview. So clubs are going to do what clubs want to do. I mean, they have uh, committees and and sometimes they're single owner or sometimes they have a 
a few influential members driving the process. And, you know, you may be club B in one city, but you want to look like club A. So you, you hire the assistant superintendent from club A because you think that he or she's going to give you the same thing at club B, although the resources at club B might not be the right. same as, as club A. It's not quite that easy. But this debate will be going on for a long time. Uh, you know, there are going to be a lot of premier superintendent and director jobs opening here because baby boomers are retiring mm-hmm. and they're retiring at a rapid, well, rapid rate. And my we'll, parents are both in their 70s and they're still working in one way or another. Yeah. So not many boomers are yeah. retiring well, yet. Well, in turf they are. And <laughs> yeah, you know, we'll, it's a different we'll, industry. We'll have to you know, do studies and see who are landing the jobs when some of these longtime superintendents and directors retire. You know, we'll have to see what backgrounds they have and what route they took. And you know, I, I think that if you're an assistant superintendent uh, looking to move up, you have to study the routes of people that are moving up and sort of emulate them if you can. To a degree. And I, I think it's just like with anything else, again, the golf industry and the maintenance industry in particular are, are different beasts, but I think it always helps to make as many connections and network as often as you can, which is why events like Green Start Academy are fantastic. You surround yourself with great people, um, whether it's working with them directly or just making that contact, whether it's on LinkedIn or Twitter or, or whatever social media network you use. And then obviously, you'd like to think that doing great work would put you in the conversation. It doesn't always, but it is it is important. So you do great work. You autograph your work with excellence, as the, the uh, saying jumped into my head the other day for the first time in a long time. Uh, you make those connections and you surround yourself with great people, whether that's as an assistant or if you're uh, a superintendent trying to hire your own staff and, and make your mark. I don't know. I'd like to think that those three things in some sort of combination would, would be enough to at least get you in the room. Yeah, and put your time in when you're young, right? Like the older you get, the more you have going on in your mm-hmm. life. Uh, let's say you're young and you're just out of turf school or you're still in turf school put the hours in then do everything you can before you have a a a family Mm -hmm. to commit to your career at that point learn everything you can you know ask questions put the extra hours in uh, make sacrifices for your job as many as you can when you're young if that's your goal to get to the elite you know some people maybe don't want to get to the highest level of their profession and that's great there's nothing wrong with that that. but if you're looking to become a superintendent at a, at a course with a huge operating budget and a, a, a influential membership, it's going to take a lot of sacrifices. And it's easier to make those sacrifices when you're young, right? Like you can work 60, 70 hours. And I'm not saying everyone has to, but sometimes that's what it takes to get to the elite job. And, you know, I, I'm sure Matt and I could say the same thing in our own careers. You know, oh, God, I, journalism. when we were young sports writers, I mean, we, we were pretty much living the job. And, you know, Matt has a wife and a kid now, and he's in a great job where he can balance his time. I, I honestly have a great position where it's a little easier to balance my time than it was when I was just coming up. And that's mm-hmm. the thing. You maybe don't see the instant rewards of busting your ass when you're young, when you're young, but you see that when you get into your, your the, the prime of your career, you, you look back and say, oh, that's why I did all the things when I was that age. It's a lot, and your body, it's a lot easier to do too when you're 24, 25, 26. You've got that metabolism. You've got that drive. You may not require, well, actually, you probably require more sleep when you're younger. You need less sleep as you get older, but you've just got that energy and your body is able to respond a little better. We were talking the other day, guy, you're 39. I'm going to be 36 in a few weeks, and it just, it takes longer to bounce back. I've had a sore Achilles for months. You know, it's not torn, but it, it's definitely sore. You know, my, my my calves, it takes longer to stretch them out. 
So yeah, and look at the um, the golfer who just won a tournament in Japan. Yeah, we're talking about Tiger Woods. Sure, he's he's in his early forties now. Look what he has to do to get ready to play golf now hours. compared to when he was in his 20s. I mean, he's waking up four or five hours before his tea time. If it's an early morning tea time, he's getting the physio worked on him. He's doing, he's doing stretching. He's probably moving around. He has to do so many more things at this point in his career and his life to get ready to play golf than he had to when he was in his 20s. And, I, you know, I, I'm not playing golf at a high level, but I, I think I made the comment to you, Matt, the other day. As I'm going through physical therapy here for a shoulder issue, it's mm-hmm. like, man, just to go to the gym in the morning, I have to do 25 to 30 minutes of, of, of stretches and movements just to get myself ready for work and to go to the gym in the morning. And uh, I would say a career, uh, as you get older, you may have to do that. But anyway, uh, yeah, th- we could have this uh, we could have this physiological conversation all day, and maybe this is another <laughs> uh, Greens with Envy episode. But Green Start Academy, as always, yeah. it's awesome. Baron John Deere do a great job with it. They bring in a uh, superintendents from all over or assistant superintendents from all over North America. The panelists were were great and I was thinking about it, you know, the first year I was there who the panelists were and only two people that were panelists in 2019 were panelists in 2014. That was Carol Rao and and Billy Weeks. Billy Weeks is at Houston Country Club now. He was at the Duke University Golf Club in 2014, and Dr. Carol Rao is one of the uh, the career gurus in the uh, the golf industry. So they've done it. Those two companies have done a good job of freshening up the event, making it different. I, I I didn't feel like I was at the same event in 2019 that I was in 2016 when I was last there. So that's a credit to the the John Deere and the Bear teams. And if you're an assistant superintendent who hasn't applied for it. Why not get your get your application ready for next year? This is something that can really help your career. You know, I, I've superintendents that I've met at Green Start Academy the first three times I went are head superintendents now, and I, I've ma- been able to keep in touch with them and maintain a relationship with them. In fact, one of them, Zach Anderson, is writing in the Turfhead right. Turfheads Takeover issue. He's the first assistant superintendent that I met at Green Start Academy the first time I went in 2014. So that's pretty cool to to have that relationship and see Zach's career grow and now have him. He's contributing, contributing an excellent article to golf course industry, but it, it, it's just can't say enough good things about the event. Uh, some other takeaways I had had from it, Matt, were uh, besides uh, you know whether you go the, the 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 high profile assistant route or become a head superintendent, mm-hmm. you know, and the sacrifice thing that we just talked about. A few other notes that I have is focused on building your brand. Right. Your your, your course isn't necessarily what's going to get you your next job, you are going to get yourself the next job. So really focus on what you want to be known as. Do you want to be known as, um, and you have to be known as somebody that can just do more than produce great playing conditions. Mm -hmm. Everyone gunning for these elite jobs produces great playing conditions or knows how to produce great playing conditions. There's so much more to the job. I mean, you look, you look at a guy and it's the second time I've brought him up this episode, but you look at a guy like Sean Emerson out in desert mountain financial, whiz and he didn't know finance when he got into this yep. industry he learned it and he tries to get all of his his uh assistants and some other folks to master that and it's tough you yeah know, so you, you, you got to find your niche yeah what is that brand going to be is it going to be finances mm-hmm. like you mentioned with sean emerson is it going to be maybe a knowledge of architecture like it is with kelly shoemate is it going to be uh your social media and marketing skills some clubs matthew wharton public courses need a lot of help with that mm-hmm. because they don't they don't have a full membership role or not all the tea times are, are booked. Uh, 
you know, is it is it your speaking ability? Grant Murphy, who's now at Barry Country Club in Ontario, who first um, presented at Green Start Academy while he was the associate superintendent at the National Golf Club of Canada. He brought up a great point in a panel discussion. You know, he, he was at the point where he was kind of stuck in his career as the associate superintendent at the National Golf Club of Canada, which is a great club. And it's probably a job you can do the, the rest of your life and be happy with. But he was looking to take that next step. And he really focused on public speaking to build his brand. Is it is it writing? There's so many things you can do to build your brand and create value in, in your club. And ultimately, like I said, you're going to get your next job, not the place you work at. So really focus on that. That was a note that I had. And also the vast scope of management as you advance your career. You are managing so many people when you get to one of these elite facilities. I, I believe Lucas Harvey, one of the panelists from Atlanta Athletic Club, he said that the club has close to 2,000 members. Those are people that he could potentially deal with, plus you know his crew of dozens of people. Dan Mearsman, Philadelphia Cricket Club, over 1,600 members there. Billy Weeks, Houston Country Club, over 1,300 members there. So you get to these elite facilities, you're going to be managing a lot of people. You're going to be managing much more than your crew, and you're going to be dealing with so many different sectors, whether it's fellow club employees or members or, or committees or other people in the industry, such as vendors. So they're just such vast jobs. And I know they're only 24 hours in a day, and they're only seven days in a week. But to, to become the best of the best in the superintendent world, you almost have to try to know everything about everything. Don't disagree. And it's like that in our world. I mean, really, uh, we have, you know, when you run a publication like ours, we really have to know all aspects of magazine publishing. And it's probably like that mm -hmm. in, in every field, but the two fields that I know the best are the golf and the publishing field. And to reach a high level in those fields, you really have to know what's going on with all, all levels of your operation. You have one more little lesson from Green Start Academy, and it actually kind of echoes something that Chuck Polinick wrote about in Fight Club 20 some odd years ago. Um, he called it single-serving friends, where you're on an airplane and you sit next to somebody random and you make small talk and you have a nice conversation and then you never see them again. Uh, it's not quite the same thing here, but you are advocating, Guy, for just sitting next to strangers. I would say when you go to an industry event, it's not about who you knew before the event. It's who you know after the event. And one of the things that I try to do is that there are bus rides at some of these events, right? So you're leaving from a hotel and you might be going to two to three sites in a day and you're taking these uh, small buses or sometimes big buses and they're usually pretty nice. But I always try to board the bus at the end and sit next to somebody I don't know because a bus ride's a great time to talk to somebody and, you know, don't bury yourself in your phone or your, your iPad or your laptop. It's a great time to have a conversation with somebody that you didn't know before. And I met three uh, awesome assistant superintendents from three different areas. And I'm going to, I'm not going to talk too much about this because I don't want to give away my <laughs> November column, but uh, I learned a lot from those conversations, those 30 minute conversations on a bus next to a stranger. And I feel like that when I drove home to Northeast Ohio, it was an eight and a half hour drive. I felt like, I knew more people than I did when I left, and I consider the trip a success for that. Excellent. If you've stuck with us for an hour, you've heard some great stuff about the Green Start Academy. You've heard about the Old Farm. You've heard about uh, the Greenbrier. You had a dive into city and state songs, hashtag city songs, or hashtag state songs if you want. 
uh, with one of our colleagues, Matt McClellan. We do have one more little bit of news that I want to bring up. I tweeted this out the other day, but just want to get it out to as many people as possible. Um, you were talking about folks that sitting next to folks you don't know. One person I think everybody knows is Bill Murray, uh, whether for his comedy or his acting uh, or for his golf. He is a winner of the Pebble Beach Pro-Am one time. Uh, and he was on the Amy Schumer Three Girls One Keith podcast. And they talked about 30 minutes, and he did talk for about two minutes about golf. So I transcribed this quote. I put it on our Twitter account. Has five likes. Not a lot. Uh, But I love this quote. I think a lot of people will appreciate this, and we can end here. I like to play golf. This is Bill Murray. I like to play golf, which to me is a great pastime. You get to walk. You can also take a cart, and you can put a drink in the cart. But you go out with just a couple of friends for a few hours No one is allowed to have a phone, and you're out there in nature. You see birds and bobcats and trees moving, and it's beautiful. You see the sky and the grass. It's sort of a mind-body exercise. You have to pay attention to your body to play the game. That's the part of the quote that I think most turf heads will appreciate. In the second half, I think anybody who likes golf will appreciate it. And you learn a lot about people, like you do playing poker. Uh, Not to get into the man-woman thing, but I think women think golf is brutal and boring and dull. The men wear ugly clothes, and they're just chasing around your little white ball. But there is some character involved. You have to report your own score. I lie about a lot of things, but at golf, I'm pretty straight. It's an exercise of conscience and honesty, and when you play with somebody that cheats at golf, it's so stunning. You can't have anything to do with that person anymore. You can't have anything to do with them. You cheat on your taxes. You cheat at work. You cheat on your wife. All these things happen. You cheat at golf, it's over. I'm finished with you. That sickens me. I love it. Great quote. Yeah, we got nothing better to say at this point than Bill Murray, (laughs) so we're out. Oh, episode five of Greens with Envy on the Superintendent Radio Network. Uh, For Guy Cipriano, for Matt McClellan, I'm Matt Lowell. Thanks so much for spending an hour with us. We'll catch you again on another great episode on the Superintendent Radio Network. Uh, Off the course. Tartan Talks, new podcast coming soon, Beyond the Page, and of course, Greens with Envy. Have a great day. Thanks. I came here looking for something I couldn't find anywhere else. But I don't want to be nobody Just want a chance to be myself I've done a thousand miles of thumbing Yes, I've worn blisters on my heels Trying to find me something better On the streets of Bakersfield You don't know me, but you don't like me You say you care less how I feel How many of you that sit and judge me Ever walk the streets of Bakersfield